As we learned in episode 79, how we broke DevRel as an industry, sometimes the people in charge may not know how to set you up for success. The tasks you're expected to do can take you away from your core focus. In today's episode, we'll be talking through how to define your role and defend your team against these very real possibilities of being asked with items you don't belong doing in your purview being responsible for. You're listening to the Community Pulse Podcast. Welcome your host, Mary Thangval, Jason Hand, PJ Haggerty, and Wesley Faulkner. As many of us know quite personally, DevRel teams tend to be made up of yes people. This isn't necessarily a bad thing, but it's just par for the course when you have a team of individuals who really like to help and enable and make things easier for others. However, we need agency to not only define what we should be working on, but the ability to push back on projects that don't allow us to continue making progress on those important tasks. So how do we learn to manage up in a way that helps our own DevRel teams, as well as the entire industry thrive? We're joined today by two guests who have a lot of experience doing just this. Angie and Evan, could you please introduce yourselves? Hello, I'm Angie Jones, and I am the head of developer relations at TBD, which is a new business unit. Well, about two years now, um, business unit at Block. Awesome. And hey, I'm Evan Hamilton. I'm director of community at HubSpot and have been building communities for 15 years or so. Great. Well, thank you so much for being here. We're really excited to have you both on as guests. We've got, um, I think, a really important topic. Uh, I know it's very um, timely, I guess, for myself. Uh, I just recently started a new job uh, at Datadog. If anybody's familiar with Datadog, we're doing some fun stuff over there. And so, yeah, I'm finding myself in this very position um, of sort of taking ownership on on who I am, what I do, and how I can help uh, not only the community and our but our team and Datadog in general. So let's just kick things off here with our questions. I'm going to start with Evan. Um, Evan, what do you think uh, and your your thoughts here on how do we set ourselves up for success um, when we're first joining a company and we need to really establish ourselves either as an expert or or whatever you know may be. What um, what kind of suggestions or ideas do you have around that? Yeah, this topic is very near and dear to my heart <laughs> because I think it's so crucial, right? There's really interesting studies that like people base how they interact with you on like their first interaction or like the first five minutes of their interaction with you. You know, you can counteract that, but that that initial interaction is super crucial. And frankly, you know, when I was at Reddit, I don't think I did a great job of this. And I think I, I spent several years kind of trying to get people to take me more seriously. And so when I came into HubSpot about a year ago, it was really important to me that I wanted to make sure to start things on the right foot. That said, you know, I was coming into some established community programs, a very established company, really smart people. And so I was trying to find the balance because I didn't want to come in and say, I know better than all of you, get out of the way. And in fact, that, that's what I learned later is a lot of people who join from outside of HubSpot come in and say that and people kind of immediately roll their eyes. And they're like, you don't know better than us. And so, you know, what I started with and what, what I would recommend for other people is asking questions. I got a lot of positive feedback that my first meetings with people, they, it wasn't me pitching things. It was me 
you know, stating my bona fides and, and talking a little bit about what I want to do here at a high level, but then asking a ton of questions and trying to understand what these teams are doing. And I both legitimately wanted to know it was useful for me, but also that, you know, makes the conversation feel about them. Then what I did is I, I came back, you know, a couple months later, having kind of gathered all this information and said, okay, here's what I've heard from talking to everyone here. Here are the challenges. Now, let me tell you about community here's what community is, here's how community can help, and here's how I think it slots in. And so what that did for people is their first interaction with me was, okay, this person actually cares about what I do. He's not just all about himself. And then the second interaction was, oh, he really understands the, the problems we're trying to solve here. And look at this kind of framework and expertise he's bringing in. And you know that wasn't me just saying like, trust me, I know all about community, but it was really saying, hey, Here's a definition of community. Here's the three ways community can help a business. And here's you know, five examples of how that works. And then here's how I think this can apply here. And it was something I worked really hard at because I, I wanted to make sure to start on the right foot. I knew at a you know, 7,000 person company, it was very easy for me to just get lost in the shuffle and dismissed. And I think that got me really far. And so that, that would be my recommendation is just take that time, understand your peers, come back and repeat back to them what they said, and then use kind of frameworks rather than just trust me, I'm an expert to make them trust you. Yeah, that makes sense. Angie, what about you? You got a take on that? Yeah, I I like to do a lot of this um, before even joining the company. I find that makes my life just so much easier. Like during the interview process, right? I love when I'm able to convince those who have interviewed me, um, whether that be the, the person who's hiring me or peers or even uh, folks who will report to me. But I love to convince them that, you know, I have a level of expertise then um, and establish that trust before I even start. Right. And what I found is they then do a lot of work internally before I even get there. They've told everyone like what a great hire they've made. And I noticed that that really makes a difference once um, you come on board, you know, people already know that you're an expert. They're looking to you to do your thing and come in, shake things up for the better. So they tend to give that space for you to do so. And speaking on doing your thing. So this is something that I also like to establish during the interview process. Like I'm paying attention to the job rec, obviously, um, what types of activities does it say that you and your team will be responsible for, right? Does that fit your definition of the type of task a DevRel team should be doing, right? These are early signs that let you know how the company views developer relations. Um, I also ask for priorities. What's expected in, say, like the, the first 90 days, right? Um, this lets you know if, if they even know what they want. Sometimes they don't. And I think that's where uh, a lot of what Evan said comes into play, where you'll you know go in and kind of ask a lot of questions and get a sense of, of the land and uh, the, the challenges and the problems and, and then come up with solutions collaboratively. But if they do know what they want, does that match what you feel uh, top priority should be, right? This is a great opportunity for a discussion. Again, you'll get signals before even joining a company on how they receive your expert opinion on the types of things that they, that should be prioritized. And 
how much control you'll actually have over that. I love everything you said, Angie. And just to, to emphasize your first point about doing work in the interviews, I lost a job many, many years ago. And I asked them, like, why didn't you pick me? And they said, well, you didn't come with any ideas. And I was kind of indignant. I was like, well, I don't know what's going on at your company. What? How could I have ideas? But I took it to heart. And, and I now bring ideas into the interview process. I always give the caveat of like, I don't know the on-the-ground situation. And to your point, I found, A, that shows them like, oh, wow, this guy knows what he's talking about. He's not just like, yeah, I'm going to throw a forum together, but he actually has a thoughtful plan. And on top of that, to your other point, Angie, if they really push back on something, then that gives you some sense. If you say like, yeah, I want to start a meetup program. They're like, oh, no, no, we don't, we don't want to do events. Well, that's really <laughs> useful info for you. So I, I love that. And I really encourage anyone who's going into an interview, come with some ideas, do your research, you know, come up with the best ideas you can based on your experience. Cause yeah, it's going to give you so much context. Mm -hmm. I love that. And I think that matters so much when you're getting started, right? Being able to figure out what is that context that I need to know? What are the questions that I need to ask? But I'm curious then, how do you maintain this credibility as time goes on, right? As you get additional context, as you've been there for a while, how do you keep building those relationships, keep uh, maintaining those, those standards as you continue on with the role? Yeah, I'm a big fan of execution. <laughs> um, I found that many people have a lot of great plans and visions, but there's a very small subset of that number that are able to follow through and execute on these ideas. So it's really easy to maintain credibility when you're a doer and you're actually showing results. And that doesn't mean you're knocking everything out of the park, right? You might fail. Some things might not be um a hit but that's okay you're at least doing something you're trying things out um i like to also be collaborative with other stakeholders within the company and kind of include them um in ideas that i have here their ideas incorporate them or say you know we totally bombed this um <laughs> are there any uh insights or any ideas others might have to improve it or is this something that's just not worth it right and i think just that authenticity just like we see it externally having that internally as well definitely lends to uh credibility yeah agree with all of that i i think too uh, cover, you know, before you're actually delivering on things, because I agree that the best way to maintain relevance is delivering. But when you're in that building phase, because communities take time, one thing that I did recently is just give people kind of a map of like, here are the steps before this is kind of scaled and delivering value. So for us, you know, we we're building these communities, we wanted to do a whole series of them. And so I, I created this spreadsheet that's like, first, we need to show that people are interested in this. Great, we've done that. Now we need to show we can replicate it. So we're going to go try and do this in another location and see how that goes. Then we build the playbook. And then from there, we can scale this. And that just helps people see like, okay, before the results come, this person isn't just messing around. They are doing something and they have a clear plan for how to get there because people fill in the gaps. And so if they haven't heard from you in six months, they might assume you're not doing anything or you're totally failing when in fact, to Angie's point, like you're on the path to, to huge successes. I think that that's really great that you're talking about setting expectations by basically prescribing 
this is how we're going to do things and how we're approaching it. Um, but uh, as a person who's worked in community and in DevRel, uh, people who are outside your direct reporting structure aren't necessarily in those meetings, but also they have their own definitions of what community is and what DevRel is. <laughs> How do you um, kind of defend what you're doing and making sure people uh, don't try to impose their thoughts of what you should be doing into your system and to the people that report to you? And let's start with you, Angie. Okay. Um, yeah, you're absolutely right. People do have their own definitions of what things should be done. It was funny, like even uh, the role that I'm in now, when I first started, the project readiness wasn't there, but folks felt I should be doing like X, Y, and Z. And it just was not time for that, right? Um, my division is only two years old. We operate as a scrappy startup. So it's all hands on deck. And when you're in that sort of environment, it's really easy for folks to kind of just like pull you and your team into a myriad of things that don't necessarily fall under your umbrella, right? And you're right. You want to be helpful. You want to do what needs to be done. However, um, we have our own goals <laughs> that we're trying to reach and our, our own tasks. So what I've found is that having those goals laid out as tasks and like a project management tool really helps. And like I said, we're a scrappy startup, so that's not necessarily uh, something you would expect from like a very small DevRel team, but it really serves as proof that DevRel isn't just out here twiddling our thumbs, like waiting for something to do. Um, so when I do get requests from other teams or stakeholders, I can point them to like our project management board and we can then have a discussion on priorities, right? We don't mind helping out, but we're right in the middle of X, Y, Z, which is desperately uh, needed, you know? So that's my approach. And that has worked pretty favorably because if you think about like engineering teams, right? Their time is usually heavily protected. Random departments are not, stealing time away from from feature work so i try to protect my teams in the same way yeah right evan yeah I, you know you mentioned other teams have different definitions and, and going back to that first presentation i did for stakeholders i literally had a definition of community in there and i, I won't take credit for that i wrote a draft of the presentation and i ran it by erica cool and she was like you are assuming people know what the hell you're talking about <laughs> I was like, okay, that's fair. Yes, I, I live community. I've been doing it for 15 years. I, I, all these things make sense to me. And so really dialed it back to literally having a definition of what community is at the start. And I emphasized you know, interaction as part of that because we see community get used to describe newsletters and the like. And I wouldn't have predicted it, but so many people were like, this is so helpful. Oh my God, now I get community. Okay. So, you know, I think it's really useful to go back to those basics and to like put a stake in the ground, say, this is what community is. And oftentimes when people have those different definitions, it's not because they're trying to like manipulate you. It's just, they're like, I don't know. I've kind of heard about this community thing. Is it this thing? Is it this? Cause if it is great. So I think that that helps a lot. Um, and then, you know, I think it's worth calling out and, and Angie talked about doing this for her team that your boss should also be helping you with some of this kind of tackling and blocking. And so you just need to tell your manager, Hey, I'm getting a lot of asks from this team. And I, you know, kind of don't know how to 
handle that or, or I need you to come in be the big bad boss. And often it's very useful for someone with just the bigger title to come in and say, sorry, that's not what this team does. <laughs> uh, I want to jump in here with um, just something that came to mind. Obviously, I mentioned at the opening that this is all very timely for me. I'm, I'm just joining a new team, definitely establishing myself as an expert in certain areas. But I'm also feeling a little bit conflicted um, in that I'm a, you know, I'm the type of person who loves to learn new things, be exposed to new things. I'm being exposed to a lot of new technology or, you know, at least the, the nuts and bolts of it. I'm curious what either of your thoughts are on also using the opportunity that to, to join a new team to almost maybe not redefine yourself, but open up new things that help you stretch and help you, you know, become another level of where you're at. Or in my case, I'm starting to explore a lot of things in the large language models, you know, AI type of field, which is, you know, somewhat new to me, but I'm, you know, I'm here for it. Like I, I love, you know, kind of just diving into something new while at the same time, same time, still maintaining that reputation that I've, you know, spent a, a decade building. People know me as the incident management guy. They think of me, you know, when chat ops comes up and I'm hoping that that'll start to also shift a little bit into the AI space. Angie, let's start with you. I'd love to hear your thoughts on how can you or how can we uh, you know, use this like starting a new role opportunity to also not get painted into a corner. You know, I don't want to yeah. be this one thing forever. What's your thoughts on that? Yeah, um, great question. Uh, this role that I've taken is actually totally outside of my wheelhouse. So I'm known in the developer community for Java and for automation. And so when I uh, took this role, which is in decentralized web applications, everybody was like, what? <laughs> um, but it's exactly that. Like I've been doing that stuff for two decades now, right? Um, I wanted to do something new and I like to keep abreast of where tech is headed. And so I felt like this was an emerging space. And, and more importantly, when I was researching this space to learn more about it, I saw the lack of education for your everyday person uh, as well as developer, right? A lot of a lot of the content I found assumed that you were deep into this stuff already. And so it wasn't very beginner friendly. And it was a call to me that, you know, my voice could be powerful in this space. I could learn some new things. I could be a part of shaping the future. Um, and in that, that, if that's not enough, <laughs> I'm also trying to do other new, just like content type of things, like, you know, making our docs fun, like, and kind of taking a step back. Like, I don't want the same old boring traditional docs. How can we spice it up? How can we add a bit of quirkiness to it? You know, how can we put developer experience first while creating this? And that gave that opportunity since this is a brand new project and we had to build everything from scratch, it allowed me to kind of think creatively and, and with a new fresh set of lenses to do so. I love that. And I love the approach that, you know, we can branch into new things and explore new topics, but then also come back around to like, okay, what's the best fit for my company? What's the best fit for my community? Where's the, the direction that we need to go in? Um, and that's a great segue into our next question. So thank you for that. Um, so when stakeholders start to push for 
other priorities. And I know we touched on this a little bit as we're, you know, getting into a new role and starting to learn the the context and things. But when stakeholders start to push in in other directions, how do you consider those options and then make a decision that'll best serve your community as well as the company? Uh, Evan, you want to start us off here? Yeah, I, I think it's such a tricky balance. I think to to the previous question, you know, you you don't want to be so defensive of your team's time that you block yourself off from opportunities and. You know, there was a period in my career where I was like the no guy and people were like, Evan will never say yes to that. And I realized like, oh, I'm really like, I'm blocking myself here. I'm, I'm shutting my own career progression down. And so, you know, I think there's a couple tactics, you know, if you think it could actually be worthwhile, um, one thing I'm a huge fan of is do a small test, do a minimum viable community you know, host an event, or we did a month-long community where we said, hey, this community is going to be around for a month, you're all going to learn together, then we're going to shut it down so that nobody was super upset when it was done. It gives you a way to just kind of like dip your toe in, see what results you get. That gives you a sense of should we invest more in this? Is this worthwhile? And we've had some where we're like, oh my God, yes, okay, pour fuel on that. And some where we're like, that didn't work. And maybe we'll revisit it at some point, but there's the data. And then I think if you get an idea that is truly like, this is not great um, and not not my, you know, what I should do with my time, you should certainly try to directly say no. If you can't, one thing that I've found is kind of let, let that team that is interested kind of do the initial exploration. I, it's not quite community or DevRel, but I was on a team where the salespeople wanted us to be customer service reps for the people in our marketplace. So basically, if you were being the customer service rep for the Airbnb host and telling people like, here's how to find the key, and <laughs> here's like the local restaurants. And I let that person who was pushing this narrative, I said, okay, well, let's do a discovery call with one of these customers. And let's see what all the details are that we're going to need to know to be their customer service rep. And like five minutes into the call, the person had been like, yeah, well, we're open Monday through Friday, except some Tuesdays. And, uh, you know, you can come in eight to five. But sometimes we leave early. Um, we, we got whatever's on the menu today, but it's not always the same. And then through their eyes just widened and, and the stakeholder realized, like, there's no way we can do this. And it, people just learn better experiencing it themselves. You want them to listen to you, but they listen to themselves much better. And there's good research around that. There was a fascinating study where somebody told one group of smokers, here's the side effects. And then the other group of smokers read the side effects aloud. And the group that read it themselves was less likely to smoke because it came out of their mouth. The same words, super frustrating, but it works. And so at Reddit, one of the things we did is an exchange program where we sent product managers in to actually be moderators in communities. And everyone came out saying the things I had been telling them for years as if they were a new discovery. Drove me crazy, but it was effective. And so I think that's one really rich vein is like, let people actually get in there and discover it themselves. And, you know, it's a little risky. It's a little time consuming, but that can have a much bigger effect than a million meetings where you're telling them you should listen to me. <laughs> yeah, I, I agree with that, um, Evan. But sometimes we do have to compromise. Um, I remember once my team was heads down producing content for one of our projects, which was desperately needed, but some other team members were going to announce like a new project at a conference and we didn't have any resources at all created for this new project. So this was a good example of 
you know, not just being the no person and standing on principles, but considering like the needs of the business, right? As well as the needs of our, our new community members that would be joining after hearing about this new project at the conference. So uh, we didn't want these new folks to not have anything to chew on. If, you know, we're, we're the guards for for developer uh, relations and in in advocacy, right? So, in this instance, we did agree to take this work on. So, you're right; you have to compromise sometimes. Yeah, you can't be super steadfast. You can't be super bullish on things. Um, but sometimes you do need to take a stand. But when we're moving into new positions or we're moving into uncharted territory, I mean, this is technology that we're talking about. So we're always pushing the envelope of what is known and what is unknown and just breaking and discovering those barriers. And for someone who is new to this position where they are, one, don't have a long track record to draw upon, like a new manager, a new team lead, or they're extremely new to the space, what what would what advice would you give them in order to keep them like grounded or for them to make sure that they don't have some of that anxiety about whether or not they're making or doing the right thing? Um, if if you had to pick one thing, what, what would it be? And let's let's start with you, Evan. I think it's that you're there to serve the organization, which doesn't mean serve every single person in the organization, but you're, you're, you're there to deliver results for them. You're not there to build a community. You're built there to build a community that drives results for them. I think if you can find what the North Star is, either for the company or for, for the you know, larger org you're part of, and say, that is what I'm going to do, you're going to get the investment, you're going to get the support. And that's also very defensible because it's not you saying, I don't want to do that work. It's you mm -hmm. saying, the organization has said, this thing is the most important and I am trying to execute on that. Do you disagree with the organization? And nobody's going to say, no, the organization is wrong. I'm more important. They'll happily disagree with you about whose project is more important, but that kind of North Star, I think, is is super powerful and it just, you know, paves the path. And I don't want to badmouth other people. So many times I have not done this in my past. And people are like, well, okay, you're just pushing your thing. And I'm going to push my thing. And we're just going to push against each other. And when we oriented it around what are we both trying to do, things got a lot easier. That's great. Angie. Love that. Yes, Angie, what, what would you do? What advice would you give? Yeah, so I think um, I agree a lot with what, what Evan said. I don't have much to add to that, but um, I want to go back to that execution part. What I found is like once you really start getting things done and folks start seeing results, like the tone just kind of changes, right? They're like, okay, clearly they know what they're doing um, and they kind of get out of your hair. And you have examples to point to, like, this is the type of work that we do, you know, and it, it has this ROI on it. And, and then people, okay, yeah, we should probably lead them to, to, to do that type of work because that's really important and beneficial for the business. I love that. And I think the, the other thing that I usually keep in mind for my team as well is if there's people making requests of us that aren't a good fit for us, it's 
probably a good fit for someone else, right? It might be something else that another team can do. And so building those relationships, going back to what we were talking about at the very beginning, building those relationships with the, the proper stakeholders, knowing what other teams are responsible for lets you be able to kind of draw those lines more specifically and, and be able to say, oh, hey, we can't do this right now because it doesn't line up with our, our goals, our priorities, what we're focused on, but this team might be able to, to take that on or be able to handle those, those things, which is awesome. Unlike most other topics in tech, the problem with finding information about developer relations isn't figuring out a way to sift through the myriad resources. It's finding those resources to begin with, especially when you move beyond the simple, what is developer relations types of blog posts, articles, and Twitter threads. Devrel Weekly brings you a curated list of articles, job postings, and events on a weekly basis, saving you the time and effort of scouring the web for the latest information. Instead, you can focus on how to grow a team, prove your business value, and build relationships with your community. Sign up today at devrelweekly.com. All right, well, I think we could keep talking for a while about this, but it's time to move to our checkouts. Uh, and this is the part of the show where we mention things that we've seen or heard uh, that have piqued our interest or maybe are keeping us busy uh, outside of work as well. They are sometimes tech related, sometimes not tech related. Um, but yeah, tell us, uh, Evan, we'll start with you, something that's interested you over the past few weeks. Man, I totally geeked out over this. So I have several. First of all, the book Factfulness by Hans Rosling. Highly recommend it. Just a really good way to reset how you think about the world, how you think about data. It's hard to describe. And all I can say is like everyone should read it. Uh, there's a great podcast. Uh, the uh, People I Mostly Admire podcast spoke to Chicago's sheriff. Uh, so you should be able to find that searching for those terms. He's just doing such innovative human first things that I think are, are fascinating and heartening to see that like, oh, we could actually change the, the incarceration system in this country and probably relevant to community. Um, Chris Dow to like responsibly extract value from it. Highly recommend checking out what he's doing. And then I'll, I'll give myself a plug. Uh, I have a, a newsletter called Community Manager Breakfast. I curate three of the best links about community building on the web every week and send it to you on Monday. So you can check it out at evanhamilton.com and let me know what you think. Awesome. Thanks so much for those. Wesley, what have you got for us this week? I think it's extremely important, whether you're in DevRel or any other position where you touch a lot of external departments that you kind of look to and try to understand um, who um, who does what and what's important to them. So um, one podcast I just discovered, and I'm loving it, especially the real non, non, nonsense approach to how they talk about the subject, um, it's called Positioning with April Dunford. She's a lovely Canadian, um, but she talks about sales. And I know sales and marketing are kind of like third rails and DevRel, but I think it, that's kind of dismissive about how important they are and to make sure that the company runs effectively. And so this podcast really talks about the things that salespeople worry about, um, the things that they do to do their jobs effectively. And you also are introduced to terms 
that may seem a little foreign to people who aren't in sales, like like a pitch deck and all those different things that are very important to the the kind of like the flow, um, like deal flow, of course. And um, what is another one that, that I heard of that's like, um, oh yeah, sales plays. Like those are just, th those, those are things that are just like, uh, being exposed to it on this podcast is like, I've heard of them, but now let me just talk about how they're actually used. So I highly recommend that podcast. Um, the other is uh, an old uh, blog post that I wrote. Um, it's called setting up for success in your next role and where to start. And so it just details about like, while you're going through the interview process, when you're prepping and go and how, how to ask questions, where do you kind of focus that to kind of make sure that if you're going to be in a new role from the interview standpoint, that you're set up for success. And so those are the, the two things that I wanted to share. Awesome. Thanks so much for that. Angie, what about you? What has been catching your eye recently? Yeah, there's all this talk and hype around uh, AI and, and chat GPT. And so, um, like I said, I always try to look for like, what are new things that I can do in uh, developer relations? And so uh, we started playing around with creating a chat GPT plugin um, for our project. And so we have one in the plugin store now. And it was it's just such a fun experience. Like we're training um the ai on all of our content like when you think about all the content your team produces there's blog posts there's uh documentation there's tutorials there's guides the api references and if someone just needed to know how to do something wouldn't it be nice if they could just put in a plain english prompt and say what the heck is does this mean or how do i do this in my context and then uh the ai has all of our info and it can spit out like the best way they can go about it, complete with code samples. And so um, that's something I've been pretty geeked out about recently. Awesome. Awesome. Uh, I love all of these suggestions. Uh, the two things that I have for this week are very much not tech related and not DevRel related. Um, I have a new puppy. She's been with us three and a half weeks now. Um, so doing a lot of puppy training, doing a lot of positive reinforcement. Um, and one of the training video sets that we came across when we were, uh, first training Maya is one called sexier than a squirrel. And it's this idea of like, how do you make sure that your dog, no matter what else is going on, that you are their, their primary focus. Um, and we live on a big four acre property and there's no fences, there's no, divisions between us and, you know, the river and the campground nearby and everything else. And so working with her on recall, even this early has been super important. Uh, so this is something we'll be digging into again with her. And I highly recommend it if you're working on puppy training or dog training in general. Uh, and then the other thing that I have is a book that I'm reading. Um, I've been up at all hours of the night because puppy. Uh, and so reading to, to get back to sleep in the middle of the night, but, uh, found this book called American dirt. Um, it is not light reading by any means. So maybe it's not what I should be reading at three o'clock in the morning after taking the puppy outside. Um, but it's really, really good. It follows a, a woman and her son, um, who are making their way to the United States from Acapulco, Mexico. 
um, and running from uh, violence that's happening down there. And it's just, it's a really good, very well-written look at uh, migrant life and the, the path that people have to take to come to safety. Uh, so highly recommend it if you're interested in a topic like that. Uh, again, American Dirt by Janine Cummins. Um, and then I'm going to hand it over to Jason to give us his checkouts and close us out today. Thanks, Mary. And thank you, everyone, for your awesome checkouts. Um, I've got a couple. Uh, I mentioned at the, the beginning, I recently started Datadog. I just finished up my third week. And uh, we're all heads down preparing for our big conference that's coming up in a few weeks. Uh, it's, it's like the first week of August. It's called Dash. Um, I'm not sure when we'll push out this episode, but it'll either be right around the same time or uh, actually, I'm not really sure. So I'm not going to say, but uh, if we, uh, if you aren't able to make it in person, I'm sure uh, a lot of the content will be available. And I've personally sat in on, on a lot of the dry runs. I've done some of the workshops and the game days, and they are all really, really good. So this is going to be um, a pretty fun conference. If you're into observability and uh, kind of DevOpsy security stuff, you should check that out if you're in the San Francisco and Bay Area. Uh, the other one I have is uh, a book I'm waiting to uh, get in the mail. I just ordered it this week, but a friend to the DevOps Days community, uh, Ashton Rodenheiser, uh, recently put together um, uh, a, basically a guide on sketch notes. If you've not met Ashton, not familiar with them, they come to a lot of DevOps Days events, a lot of events in general in person. And while the um, presenter is on stage delivering their talk, uh, she's off to the side designing this huge uh, visual aid sketch note that goes along with it. It's just, I don't know, fascinating. And I love that kind of stuff. So really excited to get that book and, and, um, and dive into it and see if I can start doing some sketch notes myself. So with that being said, I think we are at time. Um, Angie, Evan, thank you so much for, for being here. It's been awesome to have, have you on as guests. Uh, thank you for your insights on this topic. It's been you know, very timely for, for not my, myself, obviously, but I think lots of people have, have thought about this. It seems like there's a lot of people changing roles, thinking about changing roles. Technology is shifting in general. We're all getting exposed to just new, you know, new ways of doing stuff. So Anyway, um, really appreciate y'all. PJ's not with us this week, but I'm going to take on PJ's role of sharing a quote here uh, from the music world to sort of wrap up, uh, put a bow on it. And uh, and actually, I'll thank Evan for coming for coming up with this uh, quote for us. But the quote is from uh, Pete Townsend, and he says, progression is always great, but unless you take your audience with you, it's useless. So with that, thank you so much for being a part of today's show. And we will see you on the next Community Pulse. Bye. You've been listening to the Community Pulse. Find out more at communitypulse.io. On Twitter at community underscore pulse. Or anywhere you get your favorite podcast. If you've enjoyed this podcast, check out our extra podcast, The After Pulse. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time on the